did you all see this thing about you can have um, uh, Samuel L. Jackson answer as Alexa now from your Alexa device? Did you see this? No, I haven't. Uh, it's it's pretty stupid. So uh, apparently they're, you know, like a year ago they launched this thing. So where you can say, hey, Samuel, instead of, hey, Alexa, and Samuel L. Jackson will respond. But it was like it was like didn't didn't work very well, so I like updated it and it actually works now. And you can have Samuel L. Jackson curse at you um, from from Amazon's Alexa. Uh, well, I don't really know. Like, first of all, I maybe depressed because I I feel like I have this whole mythology about Samuel L. Jackson being cool, you know? Sure. So so now I'm just like well, he he's like uh, I imagine him playing golf with Jeff Bezos. And being like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll, hmm. I'll I'll record thirty thousand lines for Alexa. Why not? Yeah, I mean, he doesn't turn down a lot, so I don't know if he was just particularly into doing an Amazon <laughs> thing, or if he was just like, yeah, my money and my personality—that's that's my bread and butter. Sure, sure. I just like to imagine, like, uh, like when. Um, like Alexa turns over uh, data to law enforcement, it's going to have like Samuel L. Jackson's voice explaining everything, you know? That's what he's going to be attached to from now on. So you think when they extract the data, it's done via the Alexa voice? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's really inefficient. Yeah, what if um, at the uh, headquarters, it's just Samuel uh, Samuel Jackson, like letting Bezos know they just got like new data. Like, this motherfucker told us. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. He's like he's like the uh, people in the brain vats in that Tom Cruise movie. What's it called? The uh, Minority Report. Oh God, the precogs. The precogs, yeah. The precogs, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't say it was a was it a Philip K. Dick novel? Who, who wrote uh, the, who wrote the book? I, yeah, I think I think it was. I feel I bad because it's like a popular science fiction writer, and I always refer to it as the Tom Cruise movie. Yeah, it is uh, Philip K. Dick who did write it. Okay, cool. Um, um so uh one of the things that's programmed to say so one thing i thought was kind of creepy is if uh, he asked him how he's doing he says like oh i'm really sad about chadwick boseman but it's like a pre-recorded oh. line that apparently gets like repeated fifty thousand times when people ask him that which felt like uh, oh my god <laughs> like really i don't know profoundly uh irreverent i just got know? an idea for a performance art piece that sort of decries like tech consumption where it's just someone sitting there asking that question all day until the sentiment of Chadwick Boseman's death becomes completely meaningless and Sam yeah. Jackson just seems like a broken man do you think they'll though how much do you think they try to offer him to do the Ruth Conda thing like if there hadn't been so much backlog mm. do that oh my god that was that was probably the cringiest thing of the week. Is like I don't know if I should go low or high on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, the other thing that Samuel L. Jackson's Alexa will do is plug his upcoming series on Quibi, which no, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So for I, I I'll like be honest, native I don't advertising, know. huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically. Like, like so, you'll be like, "Where can I buy shoes?" And he's like, "Down at the corner of such and such." Also, check out my new flick. <laughs> Yeah. No, if you ask him about his future work, he'll be like, oh, check me out with Ryan Reynolds on Quibi this fall or whatever. That's fucked up because I never asked Alexa about her future work. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It's because you're a sexist. Um, but uh, no. Um, what what other like wacky or celebrity voices do you think uh, should do the Alexa voice? Mm. You know, I wonder if 
like people who are dead or options, you know? Like, do you think they could just, based on their reportings, do like deep fakes or would they- Well, yeah. That's Bezos has good. like a trillion dollars or he will soon. So, you know, the sky's but, the mean, limit. But I mean, I, I look at how fast the visual uh, deep fake has progressed since I first heard about it, where I think it takes a lot less uh, data input now and it's a lot more stable. So I would imagine the audio version of that I should know this because I'm like doing a master's degree in linguistics. So I'm trying to think about what all goes into it, but um, I just wanted to slip that in. Um, Now, all I can think of is bad ideas for people whose voices it should be like John Malkovich. That would be creepy. Oh no. Um, uh, What's his name? Uh, The guy who played Jesus in uh, last temptation of Christ. Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. Oh, yeah. yeah, you're gonna go down to the corner of Elm Street. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that also means they're gonna be like huge partnership deals to get like Marvel superheroes and yeah, yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah, more gonna be telling you like go straight, like some quirky phrase. <laughs> uh, that's gonna be the next thing, I guess, is like themed like home assistants like Marvel themed or, or something like that. Like, yeah. and, and, and all of that, it makes it so insidious. Cause all of that is just putting icing on top of like them collecting data on you. <laughs> it's like making it seem fun. Yeah. I do think one that I would enjoy, I don't have an Amazon Alexa, but I, what I would, I think it'd be cool to have a virtual assistant that had, uh, um, Joe Pesci's voice. And he just called me a mutt. <laughs> he just tacked on a motherfucker every time I, I asked him something. Yeah. I one uh, fun experience I had with Alexa was I was in India visiting my in-laws, and my father-in-law thought it would be fun to name the fans in the living room after members of the family, but that led to him saying, "Alexa, turn on Casey." So that happened a few times. <laughs> no one. I, Adam, put it, put it, put in, put that, in, put in that MP3 of the crickets after I say that. <laughs> so uh, thanks for everyone for for joining us this week. We have a special guest. Uh, as you've already heard, uh, Edward Angueso Jr. Uh, actually, uh, Edward, did I say? Did I pronounce that right? Yeah, you got it right. Okay, okay. Um, and do you go? But do you go by Edward? Is that what you? Uh, Edward, Edward, either one is fine with me. I go by both. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, Edward is a tech journalist with Vice, who you can follow on Twitter at Big Black Jacobin, and you can also hear hear him on his own podcast, This Machine Kills. Look for a link uh, to in the description of this podcast for uh, a link there. Uh, Edward, thanks for joining us on Future Left. Thanks, thanks for having me here. Absolutely, it's great. It's great to talk with you. Uh, I feel like we we uh, we bring up your articles on the podcast a lot, so I was like, let's yes. see if we can get the get the guy on here to talk to him. Yeah, you know. Well, thank you. Well, it's good. So, uh, I, I actually, this is just occurring to me now, but like, how's uh, how's the Vice Union doing? Uh, it's doing good. You know, I think, um, you know, I like the I like the union's great. Really, you know, I don't think we've had any major confrontations or fights, except you yeah. know, maybe in the aftermath of some layoffs that happened um, a little bit into the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, but since sure. then, um, not sure. But I do know that other unions are like fighting their own battles right now. Like the Wired Union sure. is uh, trying to get Condé Nast to recognize the reviews writers as um, part of editorial because they are. 
Um, you know, I, I, you know, I didn't know, you know, when, funny story, when I went to join Vice, I didn't know that they had a union. Um, and I'd done a little reading thinking, I was like, you know, if I get this job, I, um, it says online, uh, that there's no union and it's like really poorly paid. Uh, I don't, I don't know what I can, <laughs> like, I don't think I can, uh, I can do this. Maybe I'll have to turn it down. Um, cause I just mm -hmm. graduated and, uh, oh my God, when they, yeah, when they told me they, they had a union, like I had to say, I had to take it. Yeah. Have so you, have so happened. have you worked in a, a news environment that didn't have a union? No, but I have worked in places where they didn't have unions or they were like on the cusp of getting a union and like at very, I didn't like, I hate, I've hated almost every, you know, single place. I understand like a lot of places don't have them, but also like there's, there's such a huge difference for me at least in terms of like, um, actually feeling like if something's wrong in the office that people will have. Sure. For sure. Well, it's, it's good that there hasn't been any like major conflicts. That must mean the the contract is, uh, you know, getting everybody uh, smooth sailing, more or less, able to just do your do your job. You know. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to see. I think it's up for renewal pretty soon. So the, um, sure. fingers crossed. That's always fun. Always yeah. Fun. <laughs> right. So, so one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is um, I, I've seen a lot of people talking about the the social dilemma on Netflix this week. Oh yes. And uh, I, I've, I felt like you'd be a good person to talk to because it touches on a lot of different platforms, but also at the same time, I feel like it zeroes in quite vigorously on Facebook. Um, but um, I guess just generally, uh, Casey, Edward, what, what was your impression of, uh, of the social dilemma when you first watched it? Uh, you know, I, um, I'd seen a lot of people, you know, kind of dunk on it. So I decided to, you know, drink and watch it. And, <laughs> I, you know, I was kind of struck. I was, uh, in all honesty, I was a little confused. Like, for example, there's a narrative um, thing they do where they have, like, a family alongside. Um, and yeah. I think the family was there to, like, you're watching this family in the real world while people are in the documentary and the family's, like, making real the concepts. And you realize, yeah. like, halfway through that they're just going to like radicalize the the kid and maybe turn him into um, a mass shooter. But they do it in a way that the movie has been spending a good amount of time kind of depoliticizing the reasons why uh, extremism or hate speech or polarization happen on these platforms. And it became very much like a, um, a story about how it was um, the reason why the companies went off the rails. It felt like was because like a bunch of really pro prodigal, prodigal like tech bros made mistakes. They got caught up in the moment yeah. and made a few gimmicks and gadgets they shouldn't have. Yeah. Of, like um, constant erasure and minimization and marginalization of like voices and critiques and people who would have said don't build this shit you know or who yeah. said don't build this shit and and um i don't know i think also we were talking about a little bit earlier it was really interesting that they focused on heads of these teams and some of the people who were responsible for these things and i get in the one sense it's there because you want to lend some you know credibility to the to the documentary but like these people spun a story it felt like where they weren't really at fault they just yes. had a job to do and they did it because that's what the market wanted from them that's what zuck wanted from them 
Um, there it was felt like many- PR for these people a little bit. It felt like a, it felt like apologetics for these individuals, these uh, these tech bros. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, like a re- their redemption story. It felt more like their redemption story, like how they see the light and they're on our side now. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, all all through it is this thread of. They have immense power, and depending on what they do with it, it can cause great good or great ill, and that's that's the fallacy, like the the great man fallacy that the tech industry is is built on, and a lot of it just seemed like so masturbatory of like, oh my these hands, what these hands have done, oh I should have been more careful, and it's like it's like it's like you're you're kind of you're kind of a crony. There's 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 weird things like just in the framing of this documentary. And Casey, you mentioned earlier that like the 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 documentary opens up with like you know basically the the a question to everyone. It's like what's wrong with tech or what's wrong with social media or whatever the hell. And they all and they all have this like cute like huh what a tough question. Well, it's also it was all, I read I read it as a coy like oh you want to know when did you hear this shit. Like that, that's what I took it as. And it was nothing. Yeah. Their whole, their whole thing was like, I immediately, when I saw what the positions that these men held, I was like, Oh, so you're not going to get the real shit because these guys were sort of helming a lot of it. So you're not going to hear like, I did a lot of bad stuff for money. Yeah. Because I wanted the money and I didn't care about uh, the people like the regular people. And because they could only make that argument if now they were like activists fighting to make up for it, which I knew they were not. <laughs> you couldn't say that. You couldn't say that and then be like, I'm still doing it. But like at a like zooming out a little bit, even from that, it's like, um, you know, like the, like one of the things that takes up is like political polarization and radicalization. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that social media doesn't play a role, but like it, it's it's weird that like, uh, frankly, a lot of problems like um, are like painted as like the result of tech like that's supposed to be a premise right, right? or like the yeah. result of, of social media specifically that that's that like this is a premise that it's free of human intent it's 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 like it's a it's a confluence of uh yeah of th- of a bunch of factors set in motion that have unexpected consequences when they play out against each other yeah well i think like um i don't there was an article and i haven't read the article but i saw someone like have a pull quote and and Sheryl Sandberg was basically like taking credit for like black lives matter and uh me too because uh of the social media component of those movements like like it was it's a really bizarre i feel like buying into the premise of the movie that everything is because of of social media or all our ills are because of social media like actually kind of gives the people in power who are shitty like more power to a certain extent yeah you know because i think because right you're like you're taking in the good and the bad here if you uh if you say that it's uh, if you become a determinist about the power of tech, right? And I think also it's still like part of you know tech. I think is in this everlasting attempt to return to those days where everyone was a determinist about it because that made it a lot easier. It makes it a lot easier if you um, you know believe that story about technology to then say. Um, you know, because of that, there are certain things you can't change. There are certain things you need to leave to us. There are certain things that need to stay in place, um, and they just happen to suit our established interests. Um, 
and you know if you challenge them then you're, you're you know you're, you're just fucking things up right and i think that is also like yeah you know it's a perspective to to guard against because then you, on the one hand you get the people in the interview or you get people in the documentary um you know kind of insisting that all we need to do are just like change the tech right just change yeah. the tech a little bit and we, we again will be up to them to to right. implement. Right. You know, that's also another thing that became very clear. It's like, you know, even if you wanted to change the way in which some of these, you know, uh, infrastructures and digital techniques or applications work, you know, how are we going to do it? It's so, it's behind such like a ridiculous uh, curtain veil, you know, right. they're yeah. the magicians that know how to work it, not us. So we have to trust them. Yeah, I mean, moving to like the actual solutions that the people in the documentary suggest, like they 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 span from like obvious to like so ridiculous that it's just fucking stupid. Um, but like one of them is like, oh, we just need to be regulated. Like like these yeah. companies aren't the what like it, it's weird because. I don't know the problems they bring up. They make it seem like, ah, oh, what are you going to do? And it's kind of hand wringing. Um, but also yeah. like, oh, we need regulation. And it's very, it's a very broad concept. But at the same time, these people are all fighting regulation. You know, it's like, it's like, we can't do anything about it. It's just how things are. And then with the regulation thing, it's like, all right, we can fix it, but you guys are going to have to do it. We can't do it. It's out of our hands. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, we're not the ones at fault. It's policymakers. Right. And yeah. the regulation. And it's like as if as if the when you say we need to write regulation like the companies aren't in the room writing the regulations themselves. You know, Amazon is writing facial recognition regulations. Uh, Facebook and Google are trying to write regulations or trying to convince lawmakers that they don't have a case to to move against them with antitrust. So they need to redefine key ideas about. Now, what and, and Edward, that sounds like a huge conflict of interest. Are you sure? <laughs> I just watched a hearing where I think um, someone in the FTC laughed at the idea that paying people more was a necessity and that it would help keep them from going to the private sector. And then she looks around the room and she's like, I'm looking at some of you here. You know, you used to work at the FTC and I see you're making a lot of money in the private sector. So I don't see what the problem is. (laughs) And it's like, okay, you know, that's a... uh, then what's the point, you know, talking to someone like that at that point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really discouraged. That's infuriating and discouraging at the same time because it's like you want there to be some sort of rational mind that can be shown like the evil of its ways, even if that's not the solution. I think there's still. I know I have this anyway, where I always need there to be like, why are they doing this? And sometimes these people are just empty shells moved by nothing but you know greed and ambition. And um, but that's just the way it is, man. You know, if we fix the tech, then some people wouldn't be moved by greed and ambition. True, that's yeah. all that people are moved by because yeah. people are people suck. If um, we just like stopped having screen time thirty minutes before bed, people that, that was wild. wild. <laughs> that was wild. That was wild to me. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't know. Any chance that they could make it about like, nah, it's how you're using it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. The yeah. individuals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that and was wild. That's that's hate's thing though. He is like really big on like look, human beings, we're all just the same. We all have like these these core 
biological things that make us act a certain way psychologically. And that's why it's on you to fix yourself, not society and not the larger political structures. That sounds like Jordan Peterson. All right. (laughs) Uh, But so, I mean, what would you say? I can hear people in my head making the claim that no, this type of technology is a tool. It's all in how, how it's used. And I can think like the problem with comparing it to a tool is that like a hammer isn't constantly, being updated by a third party to work in a different way that benefits certain people and not others. Right. And, you know, even, even I think the idea of a tool as being a neutral thing is like totally wrong. Like, you know, if you work in any group for any sort of project, you know, there are a million ways that things could be done. And the way it ends up being done is a reflection of who's in control or who gets, who, who takes the reins or who doesn't contribute or who, who shapes the discussion and what their ideas and values and so on and so forth are, right? And that's the right. same with almost every single tool, especially with technology, right? Most technology right. doesn't just come to us from the heavens. And I think like this documentary kind of fights back against, I think, real work that's been done over the past decade to reiterate to people and reinforce the idea to people that, you know, things that are technological are constructed to be asserted way because of like real history and real private interests. And we need to understand those to then reverse the effects of tech. Now people, I think this documentary encourages the idea that um, the reason the tech is bad is because it just, you know, does something to human nature. It does something to your brain, right? And that, and we just got to stop that tech, and then we can have all the other tech. I this this may be getting into into philosophy, but I just had this thought there that when you talk about how you don't get a bit of technology without some sort of intentionality, it still seems like like when someone made the combustion engine, it seems like they were trying to make a thing to solve a practical purpose it that seems very different from how the type of intent or maybe it's the amount of of intentions that are put into data technologies uh, that seem like they can fill a lot more um ideological and um you know more personal uh to the creator uh ends than just you know a tool for x purpose um where does that why why does why do data technologies um what is it about them that allows that level of imprinting of the the designs of the of the creator whereas like a physical technology may not necessarily well i think maybe it's because what we think of as data or digital technologies are all like you know subsets of specific forms of tech that came out of the Cold War, right? Mm. You know, there's this interesting essay called Surveillance Capitalism. That's the first surveillance capitalism before Shoshana Zuboff's. And their argument is that, you know, after the United States comes out of World War II, it's hegemonic force and it's at the peak of its power. And internally, there's the understanding that this, this preponderance of economic wealth and power is not permanent. It's not the natural way that things are in their in their own you know uh, parlance, and as a result, they need to go and take steps to make it permanent, right? So they have to create ways to keep consumption at 
certain levels, right? They need to come up with ways to keep production at certain levels. And they need to come up with ways to preserve those arrangements, right? So one way is advertising revolution, right? Right. You have an advertising revolution in World War One, then another after World War Two to convince people to continue to consume things at a certain pace or need, right? You also have production schemes, whether it's like, you know, large military industrial complex that develops certain texts for communication, uh, for weaponry, for, you know, giving at inflated prices right back to the government, to the state, medicine, art, you know, goods, you know, manufactured, you know, industrial stuff, whatever. Um, but eventually that comes up to an edge. Um, so then you see as those systems begin to fray, right? Then we introduce financialization, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and financialization requires now new sorts of technologies to make sure it's mediated, but also to make sure that the population's still doing what they need to do to make right. financialization work, right? And so the idea of that essay is that the, the needs of capitalism in itself to survive and thrive in the U.S. after World War II drive us to create technologies that require lots of information to be input um, and, and taken in so that you can better modulate people's behaviors, so that you can better direct and, and watch money or capital flows and, and uh, financial assets and so that you can better, you know, keep people's minds on a certain trend or try to keep people consuming a certain thing or keep a certain thing uh, consumed past the point of, you know, when it might still be uh, reasonable. And that the, that's that's what has given birth to our digital technologies. They're like more entertaining versions of that sure. stuff, but they're still like descendants of technologies that are meant to or ideas about technology that are meant to make sure that we are plugging into that capitalism and i think that that's that's the problem here you know it's like that most of the technology we have is just in one way or another like a consequence of the cold war a consequence of that constant surveillance ethos and not in the sense not in the way that zuboff uses it talks about surveillance capitalism but just like capitalism one of capitalism's new or one of capitalism's like fronts is just like it needs constant profit. So it needs people to, or it needs, you know, new inputs. It needs new you know markets. It needs, uh, you know, so on and so forth. And one way that is just like these technologies. Um, but I don't know. I think um, also one way, one, uh, you know, another thing to like end this is just also like uh, the fact that the digital you know, information I think is kept private that lets them play with it a lot more in ways that, um, you know, if it were public or if it were, they were not allowed to hold on to it, it would be a little bit easier, I think, to, uh, to have control over the way that technology is used. Well, I know like back in August, you wrote about um, public ownership of, of like platforms and tech companies. And one of the points you emphasized in it was that digitization often means privatization. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, you know, when, when we talk about, you know, when Google or, you know, Apple or Amazon are saying that they're offering something in a digital form, they're offering healthcare in a digital form, they're offering maps or transportation or uh, in a digital form. What they're really just saying is like, we're offering a private service through a digital application that you're going to have to pay for, right? You know, Uber hails itself as a digital tech company, but it's just a taxi company with an app, right? You know, 
um, when Google or when Amazon moves into healthcare and it says that it's digitizing healthcare, it's, what it's simply doing is becoming a middleman between you and like a medical uh, medical provider by analyzing your healthcare information for you, um, giving it to insurers for you, right, and using that to regiment your care. So I think because it's technology, we don't really think about what it's actually doing to the political economy. But, you know, we don't own anything that's digital. We don't like cities, communities, the government. We don't own these digital technologies. We don't own the infrastructure. We don't own the data. Who does, right? It's private companies. They own the resources that generate data. They own the resources that extract it. They own the resources that analyze it. They own the resources that create things off of it, right? And so it just, it's, it's really just subsuming more of life into its own private, you know, thief. And then you interface with the edges. I mean, I think that really gets to the point that I was trying to make about what makes a physical bit of technology different from a digital one. And it's that after you buy or after you exchange money for the digital one, you still don't own it. Like they, they still own it. They still have access to it. You don't have, you don't have access to it. And that's such a weird thing that we're used to. Right. This rentier model, you know? Right. Yeah. And it, you know, it works for them and. Oh yeah. (laughs) Really well for them. I used to, I used to think it was a uh, conspiracy theory that, uh, that Apple like makes older iPhones start working bad after uh, a couple of new generations come out. But it's, it is true. And it's not even a thing that they try to hide. And <laughs> they're just like, they're just like, yeah, that's going to happen. Cause what are we going to do? You know, fuck you. You know, what are you going to do? We, and we all accept it. We all like, there's, um, you know, Mark Fisher, I think talked about the ways in which like popular culture performed anti-capitalism for us. So like, or, or maybe it was him or Zizek talking about something of his, but it's like, you know, you have movies that are like, you know, trying to tell us that, uh, you know, something that may seem anti-capitalist, that we're destroying the environment, that we, um, if we don't go, if we don't stop our ways, our consumption or the capitalist system that, it, that drives us to consumption, right, then we're going to ruin the planet and each other. Um, but that is like it, you know, you can have that movie, you can have that popular, you know, culture um, piece to consume, but then it like your your energy your attention is supposed to be held up there and you're not supposed to then be like okay so why do we stop it right and i feel like these companies yeah. sometimes they lean into that they make each they make each uh cycle or wave of the new product you know like really alluring and then sure. uh and then like maybe have self-referential commercials or jokes about how like oh shit you know we fucked up your that ipod uh, touch classic or the exactly you know, that you had for 10 years. It's like whenever you have like a like a business mogul in the front of Time magazine and they have the cartoon devil horns like ain't I a little stinker and it's like they're laughing in your <laughs> face like I'm evil and I can do whatever the fuck I want. Uh or or my favorite is uh is Jeff Bezos with like a fork and knife looming over a fucking iguana. I, I remember uh there's that there's that image of like what the fuck is this? What 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 did he think this well, article he, he's was going to be that about? Iguana. What do you mean? Yeah, I know. It was just like I don't know. It was, it was one of those surreal images, like this. I don't know. He's gonna dislocate his his uh, inner jaw and swallow the iguana whole. Sure, Adam, sure. you know how Jeff Bezos do. 
Yeah. No, I'm telling. Well, did you guys see that? Now he has a he's he has a preschool. I'm sure he's going to expand it to like elementary, then middle. What then words did you say? Ever? <laughs> what were the words that you said about about the children? What was that? Jeff Bezos now has a preschool. I had not heard that. Oh yeah, he has a he's a, it's a Montessori inspired preschool. It's sure. free. He's and, disrupting Montessori. Is what he's doing. Right. I mean, if Peter if Peter Thiel had one, it would just be so he could uh, act, have access to that sweet, sweet kid blood. Yeah, I was just about to say, yeah, that allegedly, right? Yeah, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. Yes, yes, yes. Also really. Allegedly and really, though. Um, if yeah. there are people drinking children's blood, it's De- Jeff Bezos is definitely in on it. Like, there's, there's no way that that exists and he's not a part of it. Oh, you Edward, know, one thing I've been trying to chase down... Um, <laughs> Someone told me um, that they that someone they knew had a tip about uh, like Peter. Uh, no, it wasn't Peter Thiel. It was uh, Jeff Bezos meeting Nick Land, right? And I and flying him out or flying to see him. So I spent like a few days trying to track it down where everywhere his like own jet that we had the numbers for went and wasn't able to nail it down. But it's um, but. Like it's just it's weird thinking about the ways in which everyone is connected. Like they're not they're like Nick Land is you know some accelerationist. You know fuck he's not going to be drinking children's blood or anything like that. Sure. But I know. But this dude is like it's just I don't know. It's just Bezos in of himself. He's like he seems like a. I mean he is a horrible like capitalist figure and also like I'm sure he surrounds himself with like ridiculous. Uh, right wing fox, right? That also make him dangerous in his own way. No, no, no. He's part of the. He's part of the resistance. He, he's he's against Donald Trump. You know. Yeah, that's why he lost lost the contract. Him and him and the Washington Post. Yeah, it's weird how capital can often uh, subsume like anti capitalist sentiment, like progressive sentiment, and sort of be like, oh yeah, us too, and like sort of waters it down. You know. I don't know, sort of makes it ineffective. It's sort of like when a powerful country, like, uh, oh, I don't know, like uh, Israel or something, you know, just being random here, uh, you, you know, is being shitty to a, uh, a less powerful country, like, like Palestine or something. And they're like, no, no, let's, let's go to the, uh, let's just go to the peace talks, which we control and have all the leverage in. And we'll sabotage. <laughs> and we'll sabotage. Yeah. It's like they, they, they want to be uh, the bad guys, but they also want to be the solution. Um, That's actually a good example, though. Uh, like, yeah, because uh, I'm real smart. Well, no, I mean, it's the, um, you know, I because I, increasingly lately, I, like I live in Pennsylvania. This is the first time my vote is going to mean Brag. something. And it's weird. It's weird. What was that? I said you're bragging about living in Pennsylvania. Oh, OK. Um, no, I, so, but it's uh, it's weird because uh, like I've, I, you know, me and Casey are from Texas, Edward, and our votes have never mattered. Sure. Or, 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 I, or until I moved here, I lived in Washington, D.C. for a while where my vote extra didn't matter. Um, but uh, now I live in Pennsylvania, so I apparently I have some goddamn responsibility. But I, I've never really cared a, a lot about the presidential contest because I've always, you know, I, I, for, for a, a while now, I've viewed it as like a competition between two parties that just don't give a shit about me. Um, but now, but like, but like literally like it's, it's Bezos and the Washington Post versus Donald Trump. It, it, it like it, there's, I don't know. It, it's one of those things that uh, I didn't bring you on to, to like for me to complain more about electoral politics, but I, I just feel like 
completely downtrodden because I feel like I'm probably going to have to fucking vote for Biden. <laughs> I, go, yeah. I go back and forth on what I'm going to do, but I guess I guess I don't know. That's where I, I mean, am today. But, you know, it also seems like what I've been reading today, they're just going to like they're just casting shade or they're going to cast shade on the election results in a sufficient enough to pressure electors to either become faithless, you know, or yeah. to not challenge um, him calling it fraudulent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's definitely possible. Um, and, I, can, uh, I can only hope I can only hope that Joe Biden becomes a sort of puppet for the younger, uh, more progressive contingents of the Democratic Party, which sure that's probably not don't how make, it works, probably, probably don't comprise <laughs> they probably don't comprise a loud enough or powerful enough voice I yet hope, i hope that's how it happens too <laughs> no he's, he's gonna be a puppet but it's gonna be like jay carney's gonna call him and be like you remember when i used to work in the white house with y'all and he's like no but i'll take your word for it <laughs> yeah yeah does uh, jay carney is he with facebook now no he's with uh, amazon he is the, oh, okay. he's uh, the press secretary he went from press oh. secretary of obama to press secretary of bezos that's cursed the guy that went from explaining uh, errant drone strikes is now explaining Jeff Bezos' preschool plans. Right. <laughs> Look, oh, yeah, he, basically he went from like, we didn't mean to uh, to blow up the wedding with the drone to we didn't mean to blow up the wedding with the defective speaker. So not much <laughs> of a change. I have a related yet unrelated question, Edward. Edward, are you a Lord of the Rings fan? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I am a fan of the Lord of the Rings. So this is a switch of topic. It's very ham-fisted. So do you remember the wizard Saruman? He's like a bad guy, and he has this crystal ball that he uses to find people. Do you remember what that crystal ball is called? Yeah, the one and only Palantir. Yeah. Isn't it weird that a a good and uh, responsible company would name their surveillance software after a evil wizard's crystal ball. Again, it's sort of it's sort of like they're winking at us and saying like what are you going to do about it? Sit down. Yeah. No. I think stuff like that makes me uh fills me with rage cuz it's like there's so much of stuff like that where it's like, "Oh, you're just like like hey, we sell software that um well first we sold it to the u.s army you know because we sure. wanted to defend the empire and then we sold it to workplaces to watch their um workers and we sold it to ice so they could deport people um i, I love how their pr for ice was like no we don't do anything involved with them rounding people up except for helping them find the people we don't do anything <laughs> that's that's the whole thing that's, that's the <laughs> and, and i i also love how theo i mean not the uh feels his own thing carp um is like this this uh guy who's like you know dude i am progressive i have a phd in progressive politics (laughs) (laughs) he has a phd it's not even progressive politics it's on like a really esoteric uh argument about about philosophy yeah (laughs) about like the Frankfurt school specifically I have a PhD in progressive politics, a master's degree in uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg studies. So you know what? Sit down. You know, I don't know. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I have that PhD. You think I would support unprogressive shit? We do everything we do at 
Palantir, it's for the greater good. He'll like, he likes lectures. People, he's like, I don't think that uh, Silicon Valley should control American politics. Yeah. It's like, okay, they just think they should spy on everybody. That's it. Well, just because our software can identify which uteruses need to be removed doesn't mean that we are removing uteruses. And it no, doesn't no. mean we agree with it. <laughs> well, well, but that's the thing, though, is it's people know this from their everyday lives that you Look, can... I have a degree in open borders. But like we we know as human beings that we can believe stuff and yet in the moment give in to things and not abide by our better ideals. It so but when people hear these wealthy powerful like white guys say like listen, you know, I I I know all the stuff to say. I know that this is wrong. You think I'm still going to do it? And we're all like, "Oh, that makes sense." I was like, no, I know from my own life that that's not how it, it happens. And he's got a lot more power at his fingertips. Like, I, I, like I, I'm not counting on his integrity, his philosophical integrity. I think it definitely says something that, you know, when it ended, like, across, I think across American society, but specifically, you know, political circles and also in tech, you find some of, like, the most, like, immoral actions consistently going on and the most... Uh, uh, ridiculous defenses that insult the intelligence of everyone listening uh, to say, to simply say like, what, like who are you going to believe me or your lying eyes? You know? Right. Yeah. Like <sighs> it, it, to, for someone to lecture you about how they're progressive and then their software is you is mission critical to deportations. Their, their software has enabled ice to do the largest workplace raids ever. And then to admit it, where? At Davos. Davos is where he admitted it, you know? That's, it's just like... Less, at Davos, it's less of an admission and more of a bragging amongst comrades. Honestly, though, yeah, that's what, it, that's what was happening there. It's like, don't worry, everybody. I'm still doing the nefarious shit that we do. Right. So don't worry. I'm you watching that for us. You may have heard yeah. my progressive stuff in the news. Um, Jesus, it's, it's dark. Well, I feel like there were there were dumb things in the social dilemma that I just I just, we can probably move through them quick because obviously I think what do you I, think I about know. radical centrism, uh, Edward? <laughs> you know, on the one hand, um, on the one hand, I abhor, uh, I abhor you know political extremism and violence and all the horrible things that tech can do. But on the other hand, right, we have to make money. And sure, sure. I, th- I think that's what it just comes down to. You can't, you know, like, what, what are we going to do? Not make money? <laughs> well, it depends on whose point of view you're speaking from. If you're speaking from these wealthy assholes, then, yeah, you can not make money. But, like, I have a family member who is a software engineer who was offered a job to work for uh, Amazon. And she was really uh, conflicted about this. And I was like, and she came to me because, you know... I'm a white guy with a politics podcast, so obviously I'm the moral compass. And uh, I, I was like, my take on it was like, we live inside of capitalism. You have to make money. So, you know, you're not going to get the job and then be the problem. So he, as long as you keep, as long as you remember who's still the problem. I mean, and that's where, you know, that's where these these big tech companies get me. It's like you, someone can go and, and work for them and, you know, it's, you know, I can have that philosophy about, you know, we're all sons of bitches under capitalism. But at what point as you move up the ladder, 
does the culpability become because there there doesn't seem to be like there's one thing to have philosophical culpability where we sit here and say oh it has this moral value but there doesn't seem to be any real culpability like where where where's the infrastructure for accountability it's 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 non-existent now i hear you i think honestly that is also another reason why i do think that real solutions are gonna have to involve like just kind of gutting getting rid of a lot of these companies because like you said you know like it's not only just that like in a hierarchy like that culpability becomes and responsibility becomes very slippery um but also like they are designed in one way or another to do so or like get everyone complicit by compartmentalizing by incentivizing and socializing and get you know it's i know i know people who um, work in the tech industry and individually, you know, they, they're going in because they either at one point, right. They believed that they were doing something or because it's like something they've been doing their whole lives and they need the money to pay off student loans, you know, so on and so forth. And like individually, none of them, they're not like, you know, helping build drones. They're not helping uh, do facial recognition stuff. They're not helping deport people, right? But I know that they're also, they also know that like at some point they could be helping out on some some project like that given their skills, right? Or sure. that they would know other people who are and they're not, and what are they gonna do? Are they gonna like antagonize that person in the workplace? Are they gonna do it? Can It doesn't make sense for them to do it. I think they'd argue because like, that person's not the one doing it. It's their boss that's making him do it. I think like all, all these questions come up internally in the debates and for the sake of like how messy it ends up getting, one solution I really do think is just like, you know, getting rid of these companies because they thrive and they profit off of that confusion. You know, if me and you don't know who to, who's responsible and we don't really want to blame ourselves um, and we can't really blame ourselves, you know, that works out in their favor perfectly. Well, that's why recently, uh, well, I was just going to say recently um, I saw you say, Edward, that, uh, you know, the, the, the whole TikTok saga is actually good because like if, if, if we admit that the federal government can just basically force a private entity to sell itself, uh, then that opens up some possibilities for uh, folks on the left, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, usually when when I usually will like be cautious about saying like something Trump does is like opens up a opportunity because even if like he does something accidentally, people around him can weaponize it. But like with TikTok, truly is I think, um, or will end up being like an opportunity because nothing came of it, but it turns out that he has. It, it seems like it turns out he has the executive authority to do a lot of the things that he bumbled into, or even if he doesn't, there doesn't have seem to have been enough awareness of whether he does or not to launch a real challenge, right? That All of that tells me that in the future, right, if some, you know, executive, some, you know, if, if Congress, if the president tries to take over a company, right, and they face resistance in the courts, or in Congress, that one route might be just, you know, executive action. I think we'll have to like look into it more, but you know, the tick, like given how confused everyone was about TikTok and how no one was really willing to like step up and how the industry didn't really step up in the first place. I think that establishes like a good precedent um, 
to sh- <laughs> to steal their shit, you know, yeah, yeah. and their data and all that stuff. What What are your thoughts on, on the whole TikTok thing? I mean, it seems to me to just be sort of backpacking on the popularity of the sinophobia that's that's. I mean, I guess always been sort of popular, but now with with Corona, it's it's like a newly uh, honed uh, political tool. Right. You know, there's a really good article um, at Gizmodo by Shoshana Wodinsky. I think it's titled, It Doesn't Matter Who Owns TikTok. And the the premise is like, you know, look, um, Walmart could own TikTok, SoftBank could own TikTok, Oracle could own TikTok. Like every single, the whole entire ad market is exposed in one way or another to like Chinese vendors and entities. So if you're really concerned about clean networks and all this shit, then you have to destroy, you have to destroy the ad networks, but no one's going to destroy the ad economy because if we destroy the ad economy, that's like the under, we just, for some reason or haphazardly over the years, we built the whole entire digital economy on top of it. Right. Um, and I think TikTok is like part geopolitical in the sense that like there's sinophobia and uh, bad strategy on like how to contain China, you know, um, yeah. Um, and also part of it is like a test case. I do think, uh, about whether or not this can be done to other Chinese entities if they ever, you know, ascend. You're saying it could also be a warning shot. Yeah. To, you know, to China, but that seems to be like a, a critical component. Like, And I haven't looked much into this whole TikTok episode, to be honest. Um, but like, I feel like it's, it's kind of like trying to reinforce, like a, a certain status quo in the global economy where, um, you know, the, the popular apps in the United States uh, are not uh, owned by Chinese entities. Uh, rather, the, own, the China's role in the global economy is to like basically have like sweatshops that are to some degree uh, owned and operated by American corporations. And that's their role, especially in the tech industry. So you think America doesn't like that it, this puts a smiley face on China? TikTok does. Well, no, I, I think that they like it's just it's just a, a matter of we don't want you to own like apps. We want you to make we want you to, uh, you know, mine rare earth minerals and work at Foxconn factories uh, for the benefit of Amer- of the American economy. We don't want you to actually uh, have, own a tech enterprise. I think, yeah, you know, like with China, there's always like orientalism blinding people from think taking china seriously right and there's also when you throw in the fact that like we don't tech t- take tech seriously right that becomes a big problem like you know for example china has a pretty serious competitor like an industry that competes with silicon valley because it used the great firewall to um prevent competitors from abroad um, from entering its market. And then it used its state to subsidize them, grow them, expand them. But on the outside, you know, that policy usually got painted in flat ways uh, to specifically talk about censorship, which does happen, you know, but it was obviously not the only reason why the Great Firewall was established, if you looked at it even then. <clears throat> but this sort of, um, this sort of, you know, refusal to to one, like seriously analyze tech and, you know, and, and China, um, and instead lend like, you know, dive into sinophobia or, you know, infantilizing narratives, I think has resulted where like state planners, you know, people who are really interested in keeping uh, the United States at the top of the world, 
uh, I've realized that they, you know, from a pure geopolitical planning standpoint, they fucked up, right? Like <laughs> they let they let a they let a rival send in a way, but it doesn't need to it doesn't need to manifest the way that they're trying to manifest it in as like a conflict. It's not an existential conflict between us, right? There's no rule that says the digital economy has to either be Chinese or American or half Chinese or half American, but the way that we structure international markets and trade and capital markets means that that's what's what everyone wants and plans for and assumes is going to happen. And that's, if anything, is going to lead us to a conflict, right? This like desire to dominate and the result of making a world where that has to happen. But I do think there's something to like what you were saying about being threatened by like China, no longer just being like the world's manufacturing. Right. Um, And you see that sometimes when people refer to China as like the communist party of China, I always feel like that's a, that's a, that's like a, that's saber rattling, you know, to be like, they're, they, they're not like kids anymore or whatever. Like they're, they're, they're communists, right? They're rabid or they're adults or they're, or they're a threat, you know? Yeah. We've uh, mentioned a few times in this about these large tech companies um, that, you know, they just, they need to be got gotten rid of, um, but there are also you know other options, especially when we talk about accountability. And, and me and Adam also like to. There's this game we like to play on the show called Control Alt Delete, where we talk about some entity and we talk about how what its ownership structure should look like, whether it should be uh, control, which is state run. Uh, alt or, or just public and or public yeah or alt which is run by the workers or delete which is completely gotten rid of are you up for that game yeah i'm down okay so edward control alt delete and you know show your work <laughs> netflix oh netflix hmm um you know i'd say control um i say control because i think um you know, there are other things that have to happen, but like, you know, I am a bit hostile to uh, IP in general and the idea that like um, intellectual property shows and stuff should be like, you know, privately hoarded and like the property of an individual. But the reason I think that's because I think we should be like, just, we should have really large funds for arts and cultural yeah. uh, products. Right. Sure. And um, if we had that, then you, you then you control you do control Netflix um, and you figure out ways in which people can just make shit that they want and, and have an audience for it or not have an audience for it if they don't care. Um, alt, I don't, I don't think alt works for that. And, but, and delete, I can't say delete cause I want it. <laughs> you know, or, <laughs> I mean, usually alt, the way we usually think of alt is, you know, worker ownership is good for the people who make the stuff, making the decisions that affect them. So, you know, most companies, their first line of cost cutting will be personnel. So, uh, you know, that's just without a thought. So obviously that wouldn't necessarily happen and not without, you know, considerable uh, consideration if they were the ones running it. So that's just that was the thing behind that one. Um, Adam has added this one. Uh, Control, alt, delete, pet smart. <laughs> hmm, I don't know. You know, who makes the dogs, you know? Yeah, yeah, the <laughs> yeah. Let's do all so that the um, yeah, 
so that the uh, the caretakers can run it instead of uh, I, I mean, don't even know who owns PetSmart. I mean, I guess in a place that has a brick and mortar, you know, storefront, that probably lends itself more readily to to alt where there's people working, especially in retail. Uh, you know, usually those are pretty hostile environments in terms of bosses. Um, so I think that one makes I, more sense since there's like a physical thing being sold right I mean, at I added this one because I wanted something. I wanted to add some more silly ones because I didn't just want to be like, you know, Netflix, TikTok, Uber. And like, like and I was like, oh, God, this is a little, a little much. So, um, but no, I added PetSmart. But the more I think about it, um, me and Casey have been offline talking about um, care work a lot and like elder care and child care. Uh, and like, you know, it should be like a, a publicly guaranteed service. Uh, surely animal care and pet care that's that's worthy of uh, some consideration as well yeah um, you know there's this really interesting um you know this is philosopher but Unger who talks a bit about he has this idea that care that care work should be thought of like um you know we have like this idea that you are about civil services like oh you know whether we have like americorps or like work or serving in the military but instead of all that it should be like literal care for right. people in your community right and i could yeah. see i could see animals being part of that especially because like you know pets are just great you know so sure. yeah. well I, and I, I i could i would definitely get behind you know control uh for like vet cl- vet clinics and stuff but to me the the store component the ah, product good point the product good selling point. component of pet smart changes it for me a little bit I, I think it's worth, uh, like, I don't know, because even with like care work, what's kind of tricky with that one, like say child care or even elder care, they, um, I think they operate similarly. Because it's, it's definitely a public good. But, I mean, but it's definitely... like, I think that, I don't know, it, it's not like, like every entity has to be either or uh, under, sure. under my right. view of the next system, right? It's not like it's either state run or it's worker owned. And that's, that's that. I think that like thinking about like what a multi-stakeholder enterprise and that type of governance might look like, because obviously like I would want it guaranteed from like a high level of government that like, um, let like elder care is something that we're going to make sure is provided to like give, you know, elders, uh, a lot, like the end of life with dignity and like that they're cared for. Um, but yeah. also the, I, I would want work. I think workers are definitely a stakeholder. Surely right. the elderly are also a stakeholder. I wouldn't just want, you know, um, this governed solely by the whims of, you know, federal or state I, level bureaucrats. I feel like in the past, this has often boiled down to who in this situation we care most about or review as the biggest underdog. And in this case, I think it's the people being cared for. That's our tendency. But you, you may be right that there are still people working, doing this uh, job. But for like, for example, like when we talk about, you know, healthcare, I say, you know, public quickly because I'm not worried about enfranchisement of the doctors. Like when I say it, I am, but like, that's not my knee jerk reaction. Whereas when we talk about like, uh, you know, um, sanitation workers, I immediately go to alt because I, I, or I go to a combination like alt and, and control because I want the resources and the organization from, you know, the, the, the top down, but I also want to make sure that the workers are enfranchised. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I think those are, those are good points, right. To think of, to think, or, you know, one thing I'd also wonder, you know, and I was also thinking about this when you were talking about 
Netflix is like, you know, for example, with Netflix and, you know, I'm sure with other orgs too on the, in the care economy that are platforms, right? There are different types and groups of workers that are on them in that like the workers at Netflix are different than the workers who make the stuff who are different than right. the workers who work in the buildings. And it's like, uh, then maybe step one is also like to the degree it makes sense getting like unions and collective bargaining units for all these different groups of people um and seeing then like what the platform or what an org or federated or federation of all these unions would look like when all these people have like the ability to collectively bargain with each other or, or um or and treat each other as equals, I think, in the work. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's let's try to get to another one here. Control Alt Delete Bethesda Game Studios. Oh, <laughs> I was going to just say Todd Howard. Mm. They just got bought by Microsoft too, right? Yeah, yeah. If we delete them, then we get rid of Microsoft. Well, but my whole thing is I'm I'm salty that they got bought by Microsoft because I'm a PlayStation owner. So so if the next Elder Scrolls game come out, it comes out, it might be like a Microsoft exclusive, an Xbox exclusive. Oh no! So that's why I'm like delete. <laughs> if they can't, if I can't have it, no one can have it. Yeah. <laughs> um, control Alt Delete. Um, uh, let's go. Let's go TikTok. Oh TikTok. Hmm. I, for personally, I just believe it should be owned by the state of China. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would love actually if it were like officially owned by China, so Neil Ferguson could lose his shit again. But you know, I'm f- I'm full on tanky uh, Maoist for uh, TikTok. Yeah, let's do it. You know, TikTok is for the people. I agree. Uh, Adam, you also have on here the Harry Potter franchise. <laughs> Edward. Potter. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Kind of a death of the author question for you. You know, I'm. T- I you know, I think I think it's t- I think it's time we can delete it. I think it's you know it's about time we can uh, okay. we can delete it and we can get J.K. Rowling. You know, I think if it wasn't like in Britain, you know, if it wasn't like a British uh, private school uh, magical wizard story, maybe <laughs> we could talk about alt <laughs> or, <laughs> or control. But eh, you know, they- I, I want to see the public school version. Yeah, you know, I want to see the public school version. I also want, like, you know, there's there's too much stuff in there, man. The elves, the um, yeah, the uh, the Gringrotts bankers, uh, the, oh, the racist names. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was watching the bank the banking scene. I'm not a, a big fan, but my my wife is, and I was like, uh oh, <laughs> yeah, what's, what's going on here? It's so wild that no one said anything. I had to rewatch it to like realize it a few years ago, and I was like, "Oh, this is uh, <laughs> you know, this, well, it screams at you." <laughs> well, it's like the Ferengi in Star Trek: The Next Generation. It's it's like, uh oh, space Jews. This isn't good. Yeah. Did she ever say anything about that? Did she ever own up to that, or was she like, "Nah, that you're reading too much into it." No, J.K. Rowling always always says, "No, I'm progressive. Shut up. They're, you're wrong. They're gnomes." Yeah, they're gnomes. The you're fact that they, for, you're racist the for fact seeing that in it canon the, the gnomes killed Christ is completely irrelevant. Whoa, I don't know why everyone's yelling. And she's like, they're gnomes, and Mel Gibson was like, they are fucking gnomes. Right, right. 
but but um, but Edward, you're racist for thinking that it's anti-Semitic. Aha. Yeah, I gotta check myself. Okay. Um, what do you think, Adam? Um, what about podcast platforms? Like, I feel like for I I feel like it's like out of control. Like they're like um. I, a few months ago, I read that there's like 800,000 podcasts and there's like another, like there's like another 50,000 every week or some bullshit. Um, like it, it's, it's like out of control. And um, also I feel like I, there are podcasts I, I, I can't live without that are on SoundCloud, but are nowhere else. Yeah. And then there are podcasts that are on Spotify and nowhere else. And I feel like I like guys, can we just like get our shit together and yeah. like I don't know just how like at least get all the communist podcasts on one platform you know we need to get like a know. podcasters union and it needs to be like the the New York like musicians union where like you have to register or else you can't get fucking gigs right <laughs> they'll like break your mics and shit if you uh, yeah. try to, <laughs> try to record with that <laughs> your Patreon won't work if you uh... right. that's a that's a nice. Uh... That's a nice setup you got there. Be ashamed if something happened to it. <laughs> you wake up and have a pair of cut up me undies on the pillow next to you. <laughs> oh yeah, they could do it like the Irishman. They'd be like, "Look, if they can whack the president, they can whack the president of your podcast." <laughs> Adam's the president. Oh, oh shit! Yeah. Um, I guess the last one we have is Palantir. Um, is there anything redeemable about this company that could be useful under um, a, 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 a system of or an economic or political system that uh, is is uh, not this one? Because I, I like data systems and I like how convenient they can make things for me. But I, I like, do a, not I like, like a good crystal ball. You know, I do not like I do not like how they are wielded and how they can be wielded. I think we could, you know, maybe. Maybe like the one good thing that could be said about Palantir is like we could use it in the future. Like we'll take it out every like ten years and use it to find any stray capitalists after the revolution. Sure, sure. Use it to thought, hunt down reactionaries. I thought you were gonna say stray cats, and I was like, that is quality <laughs> content. Uh, but yeah, that that's my thought. Again, it it's reminding me of Minority Report. Yeah. No, I think yeah, Palantir uh, delete. You know, I think. I think, but like you said, you know, data systems are useful. And one of the really big projects we're going to have to do, you know, that's ongoing and, and I think permanent is always going to have to be like interrogating how digital systems are being used, you know, because um, it's really easy. Or I imagine it would be really easy for another Palantir to emerge, but like um, it's fine because we have more privacy regulations and uh, and more like checks but then they'll just subvert them or they could just subvert them right it can't be a matter of just one by one every time there's a new platform being like okay is this one good or bad no there there has to be like things built in that cannot be transgressed Mm -hmm. and i yeah you know i think that's really that's a that would be like a huge step huge victory to like really get serious uh lines in the sand that if you get if you cross it it'll just delete you just get rid of the 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 org or the institution or the uh, platform whatever it is and guess what we're keeping the technology (laughs) yeah Yeah, just wheel it off in like a fucking van i think that could work (laughs) got all the ones and zeros in this fucking van yeah um well i mean i guess 
that brings us to the end, really. I, I, the one thing I want to revisit about the social dilemma is that the, the young man is radicalized by something called the extreme center, which which is That's the most cowardly thing I've ever seen on film, I think. Yeah. Like I, I, I was I was stunned when and, like, and the logical was... gymnastics they had to do to create the what what little you do see of the actual ideology. It's like there's this thing as a radical center. So they're drawing from what they see as the radical right and left. It's like that's not that's not what centrism is. That's like it's, it's also really interesting. Like it also speaks to like such a sheer detachment from like how Facebook actually works. We all know, like, on Facebook groups, that is not the name of groups and pages, yeah. you know? <laughs> At all. <laughs> it, is, yeah. it was so unbelievable in that. Like, it's so, it's it's weird seeing the ways in which, you know, TV, film, docs, all sorts of media, like, will take a thing that we all, we all experience it and, like, dumb it down or strip it of its like actual content in the name yeah. of making it communicable to everyone when really right. it's just to, like prevent any political valence or any sort of like you know threat of upsetting yeah. some people that's what made me think it was predominantly about showing these guys faces and being like see they're not monsters they're good guys and they feel bad they feel bad they My can articulate part, why though. it was wrong because uh, like you, Edward, I thought this was building up to him being like some sort of like like school shooter or something, yeah. some sort of murderer. But all it, he just goes to a protest and gets arrested, which is first of How all, radical. I don't like if if the police showed up at my door and there's like we arrested your kid at the extremist center protest. I'd be like, take him away. I, <laughs> I never want to see this piece of shit again. But uh, like, that to me was one of the like I like the idea that it just culminated with like p- the police wrongfully arresting someone. I was like, OK, that's it. Yeah. Also, by the way, the police are bad. We have to throw that one in there. <laughs> sure. You know, we're, this is a good doc. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I think that I, re- I really did. And I wonder if like an earlier draft, it's what they were going for, because there were various points where it's like it just felt like they took it right out of the. um the narratives that have been kind of like established as a like a trope or the archetype of like a radicalized shooter, right? Like the I mean, isolation, the heartbreak, or and and then like the the rabbit hole. You know, once I saw that rabbit hole, I was really convinced that he was just going to be a shooter, and so I was surprised they cut it off at the. Um, it does seem like there was some last minute changes because again, it was like. It's like sometimes you'll be talking to somebody and you'll hear they'll say something that has like all the rhythms and momentum of a joke, but then there's no punchline. And you're like, oh, what the fuck was that? That was weird. Or it's like the entire Andrew Yang, uh, 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 Andrew Yang's entire political career where he goes right up to the edge of being uh, uh, progressive and then pulls back at the last minute. That's that's what it. Yeah, it had big Andrew Yang vibes. Yeah, I, I mean, hey, you got the CNN gig, I guess. I guess that's enough to like not commit. <laughs> so, the the, podcast? I think maybe as a podcast. Who is it? I know Buddha Judge has a podcast now, right? Buddha Judge. Uh, Biden launched a podcast. Uh, Hillary, Hillary Clinton launched a podcast. Yeah, you know, I feel like it's probably like with one of the um, with one of the New York Times op-ed uh, generators for Thomas Friedman. That's probably <laughs> like the the script. <laughs> yeah. Just aggregates uh, aggregates Thomas Friedman. We are quotes. stronger together than alone. Remember that. Oh, man, that's what we need to hear these days. Extreme Center. Get on the bus, Gus.
<laughs> yeah. Oh God. Well, I wonder if people tried to make extreme center groups after that documentary because that's also like probably what the take it takeaway will be. It'll be like a little degradation of our understanding of the digital world, and then like a bunch of ironic and shit posting um, on Facebook because of it. They would immediately yeah. realize that it's impossible to make a, a an extreme center. Like it's literally just group picking and choosing from the radical right or, rad- or quote unquote radical left. Right. No, the extreme center believes in climate change, but they just don't want to tell you too many facts about it. You know, yeah, they believe in climate change and they're out to kill anyone that wants to do anything about it. That's, right. That's the, uh... They believe in climate change and they will talk to anyone about it. Right. And they yeah, this... and they think we should do something about it, hopefully. And they think we need to come together so hard. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. It's amazing. I wonder. Yeah. Stuff like that. When I see stuff like that, I really wish I were the in the room to see how it got made. There's so many things in the social dilemma that made me, like you said, it just felt like, um, at best, like a rehabilitation of these guys. You know, I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Also, they brought in Shoshana Zuboff, you know. Yeah, yeah, I disagree with the theory on some parts, but I understand bringing her in for something like this. But like, I also saw her speak on an intercept live stream and she was like made it clear like i would not have done it like that like i didn't direct this you know like they kind of just put her in there to be like look like these guys are smart you know they're talking (laughs) what do you think about jaron lanier i think um like i i've seen him I, i i actually have one of his books that i haven't read um but he seemed like like one of like he's kind of portrayed as like the um the like the grandpa the wise grandpa you know but he 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 also was like i don't want to see anything bad happen to tech and i was like what the hell is this you know it's interesting i think um i feel that a lot of lanier stuff that i have read um is like goodwilled stuff that i feel is you know pretty idealistic you know i think um I think that sometimes it can be distractions and sometimes there's like some mix of like stuff that'd be interesting to go in there. Uh, like, you know, the idea that we should get rid of our social media accounts. Yeah. And I hear that, you know, like, but also like that isn't also the problem. Like the problem is also like, we can get rid of our media. We can get rid of our Facebook accounts. Like right now, if everyone deleted their Facebook accounts right now, Facebook would not die as a company. It would simply pivot to a new thing we need to get rid of we need to figure out how to get rid of facebook because it has billions of dollars in in reserves right and it has all sorts of businesses that it can jump into with the money and the data that it has that's what a lot of people forget they think of these companies as the thing that they use but they're they are huge sums of money and that money is very insulating and Facebook in particular, they have so much money that they're even they, they don't know what to do with it. So they're they're like considering how to make their own currency. I don't I don't even know where the the Libra is at at this point. But I was I remember thinking just like I don't know this this all of this can only go. It's either just gonna blow up and be nothing, and they're because they're a bunch of idiots, or it's or it's gonna be like the darkest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, you know the the when that Libra shit came out, I told one I was push I was like, dude, I was telling one of my friends who's in tech, and I was like, you know, if this Libra thing comes out, I need you. No excuses. You have to work for Facebook, and you got to do what they did at Mister Robot. You got to destroy that shit from the inside, yeah. blow up the the currency. Um, and I can't believe that. I think they just kind of stopped it a little bit on their own volition, but like, 
they could have done it. You know, like there's yeah. nothing, there's nothing in the way. Um, they had like a congressional hearing on it, and nobody really understood it, and so they were they were scotch free. I think. Yeah, yeah, I am yeah. kind of surprised they didn't push it through. I still yeah. think they should have called it shitcoin, but but I I think that's going to be all for us this week on a future left podcast. Again, I I, I want to thank uh, Edward for coming on and talking to us. As always, oh, thanks for having me on. Oh, absolutely. Sorry, I was going to talk right over you um, because I because <laughs> I fra- I phrased it in an in an inconvenient way that didn't give you a, a space. But as always, I'm Casey, and I'm Adam. Bye, everybody. Bye.